Can everybody hear me? Okay, good. Thank you. That's always a good thing to, to know there. Okay, so I got to come up with a sermon here. What should I do? I like to make these things spontaneous. So let me think. Okay, okay so I'm going to do this. What should I preach on today? Okay, that's, oh, it's Romans. Okay, so I'm going to look here in the Romans. 124 is going to be our, our topic of discussion today. And God's holy and errant, infallible word, Romans 124. And um, I'll just read this and make some comments on it. I wrote some notes down, and uh, hopefully they're appropriate, accurate, and it will bring blessing to you. But really, you know, preaching, number one goal is for salvation, for sinners to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus. Now, we enjoy coming here once a month. I think it's about two or three months since we've been here, since our last time. Uh, We certainly love coming here and getting to know the congregation. We get to know you a little bit better each time. We enjoy that. We, you know... This is one of the highlights of our, of our month, really, being with you. So we enjoy this. However, I don't know your hearts. Maybe there's someone here today, you just like religion, you like company and all this, but your heart has never been circumcised by the Holy Spirit. Are you sure you know the Lord Jesus Christ? What do we have? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that means the worst person in the world, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm trusting, assuming that's the situation here, but, you know, you never know. Uh, People's hearts, you know, years ago when I was preaching in our uh, previous church there, um, we had, you know, regular people that come to church. And and, and it's amazing, really, the similarity. The gentleman I'm thinking of, Vicki, you know who I'm talking about, is very similar to Charles over here in appearance. And and really a great guy. We We became very good friends, and he was a regular at church. And um, we, you know, got to know his wife, and we did things together. Had a very nice time together. They'd have us over for dinner. We'd go over there and all this. And uh, so in, in preaching the word, uh, occasionally I will give an invitation. And, um, you know, so I did. And I, I don't make a big deal out of it, but I give people an opportunity to receive Christ if they've never done that. And so um, a couple weeks went on, and we did a home visit to, to um, the um, friend I'm making mention of, and they invited us over for dinner, and I wanted to talk with him anyway. And so in talking to him, I said, um, tell me, when did you come to Christ? He said, uh, about two weeks ago. I said, what? He said, about two weeks ago, when you gave the invitation. Now, he's been going to church all his life, you know, and a helper and all involved, a great, wonderful family. But I got saved two weeks ago. And that taught me a lesson. You know what that is? Don't assume everybody's saved. Although you're in church, you look like you're saved, you behave like you, but you may not be. So that's why I always give an invitation. And you know what? One of the things I like to do, which I found helpful with people, is this little illustration here. This hand represents you and me, rotten sinners. This represents our sin. So here, I'll use myself as an example. Here's Don Britton. There's my sin. I cannot go to heaven with this, and there's no way I can get rid of it. So I'm doomed, except God sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus. Let this hand represent the Lord Jesus Christ. He did many wonderful things, but primarily he came to make a substitutionary payment for our sin. And he did that while on the cross. As you all know, he was buried, he resurrected, showing himself to be the inspired son of God. And what are we called to do? Believe on him, trust in him. And when I do, what happens? My sins are cast on the Lord Jesus. He takes Lord Jesus paying for my sin while he's on the cross. So how can I go to heaven? Because of the work and doing. When I trust and believe in Christ, this occurs, and now I'm able to go to heaven. Not because of what I've done, I'm not worthy, but the Lord took my sin, and now I'm able to go to heaven and enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ all eternity. That's grace. That's plan of salvation. And I'm assuming you've all had that. Maybe not. If not, think about it and come unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look as we are going to talk about here today in Romans chapter 7. I've gone over this sermon about, um, gosh, I don't know, it seems like 20 times, and it doesn't really come together well, but maybe the Lord will bless it this time. 
We're looking here, Romans 1.24. So I want you to do that, please. Turn there. And it tells us here, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Try to visualize this now. God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask now that you will guide us. We pray that your spirit will be the true teacher. We pray that you will open up our heart, that we will receive and understand the wisdom that that is contained in these 22 words. We ask, O Lord, that you will minister to the need of each person here. Perhaps a brother or sister here struggling with a personal sin. We ask that you will give them deliverance from it. Perhaps someone is looking for your will in their life. We pray that you might reveal that at this time. Maybe there's a brother or sister here who are at odds with one another. And we pray that you would bring them together in in the love and compassion of the Lord Jesus. Now, Lord, help me to be able to communicate these words accurately to the blessing of the congregation, to the glory of your name. And then, Lord, I want to say thank you so much for letting me be here today because you know, and I know, I'm probably the least worthy to be doing this. I don't understand this other than it is your grace. In fact, I know that's why it's your grace. Thank you for your abundant grace, indescribable grace. Thank you so much. Now, please help and guide me to communicate and bless these people with your word. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so as we looked at here, Romans 1, 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, this, if you look at this, if you go back to, to, to chapter 1, verse 1, and go through it, this is speaking both about Gentiles. It's applicable for both Gentiles and Jews. Some of the language here, you think he has reference only to Jews, and then sometimes it sounds like he's talking only about uh, the pagan, the unbeliever, the Gentile, the unsaved Gentile. But in either case, probably in all of this, both are included, the unsaved Gentile, and also the unsaved Jew. And so that we find out to be God's people, and we see language. And I'll just give you verses for that statement that I said. It'll, it, it, it seems like it's talking both about the Gentile and the Jew. Uh, and you'll get this if you look into and spend time studying um, chapter 1, verse 13, chapter 1, verse 16, chapter 2, verse 9. Verse 17, verse 24, verse 27, verse 29, and so on. You sort of get it's talking about the Jew, and it's also talking about the unsaved Gentile. So in either case, we know the unsaved person is, 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 is in view here. So you need to know that. Uh, what I want to do is, first of all, talk about the nature. In order to lead into the understanding this verse, I want to talk about, for a moment, the nature. Do you ever talk, think about this? The nature of Scripture. What is the nature of the Word of God? Now, there are several verses which address this issue. Now, here's one, a well-known verse. 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. Now, that's a statement about the nature here of Holy Scripture. And we find it's good, as we say, for reproof, for direction and correction, instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. That's what it's for, to deal with mankind. Now, the second thing we want to observe about Scripture, here's something to understand about it. All Scripture is not to us. All Scripture is not to you. However, all Scripture is for you and for me. So that, let's take the book of Romans, since we're in the book of Romans. Romans was written to the church at Rome, but the information in it is for all the saints of all time. So that's something else about the nature of the Word of God. Historically, when it was written, it went to the specific church, but it is for all Christians of all times. A third observation of the nature of Scripture It's living. This book is alive. And you know, if I want evidence, I'm looking at it right here. Why are you here? Why would you be here on a Sunday morning? You could be out shopping. You could be laying in bed sleeping. You could do all kinds of stuff. But you're here, and I recognize you every week you're here. Something happened to you to bring you here. And you know what? 
you got involved with the word of God, you heard the message, you received Christ, and here you are. And you're turning your life, your talent, your money over to the Lord. And that's something about the nature of the word of God. Fourthly, another observation of the nature of God's word, it is inerrant, meaning it has no error. Contained in the 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses, 788,280 words, it is the divine and errant word of God. No error in it. And then the fifth observation we see about the nature of the word of God is that it is eternal. For scripture tells us, thy word is settled forever in heaven. This is an eternal word. It will continue on and on and on. As I say, as we look at our Bible and analyze it, there are 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 books of the New Testament. Therefore, we have 66 books. One of the major themes, starting in Genesis all the way to Revelation, is the theme or or, or the study of Israel, the nation of Israel. We see it from the very beginning to the very end, statements about and from the nation of Israel. But what do we learn as we go through the scripture? We learn that Israel had an on and off, mostly off, relationship with God. Even though Israel was God's chosen people to reveal Messiah, to reveal the word, yet, as we all know, they rebelled constantly, and therefore God, their relationship with their God could be described turbulent at best. Israel had a turbulent relationship with their God. Example, the false prophets. As we all know, as we read through Scripture, there were many false prophets preaching in the name of God and yet and, and causing division, causing confusion. We know that although Israel was called of God, yet with regularity they broke the law, they did not listen to the law, they rebelled against the law. And so, ultimately, because the history of Israel was that of rebellion, I think we all know what occurred in 70 AD. This constant rebellion over and over. God you know, constantly, as it were, had to say, okay, if you're not going to listen, if you're just going to continue on this way, then try this. And we know that in 70 AD, Titus and the Roman troops came into Jerusalem, slaughtered who they could, leveled the city. Only people who survived were those who ran up into the mountains for cover. And, of course, it was a terrible slaughter that took place there in 70 A.D. And then we know this. From 70 A.D. to May 14, 1948, Israel, the Jews, were without a home. They wandered around the world. They had no secure home until, as I say, May 14, 1948. Psalm 106, verse 15, an interesting statement in light of all this. There it says that God gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. And we see statements like, we will not have this man to reign over us, as an example of their defiance against God. An explanation for what took place in 70 AD, as I just expressed, many verses we could pull, uh, call upon. Today I want to share with you Romans 1.26, and what does it tell us? For this cause, God gave them up. And we're going to look at the context of that, but I think you can clearly understand that. You have Romans 1.28, God also gave them over. What did he give them over to? A reprobate mind, and we're going to talk in just a moment about a reprobate mind. But we know then that historically, Israel was always in rebellion against Israel. God. A word in Scripture to define Israel's spiritual state of mind is a word called reprobation. Israel was referred to as being a reprobate. That word reprobate comes from the word adokomos. If we go back, if we have a you know, Greek language, you find the word adokomos, and it means to be rejected, cast away someone that cannot stand the test. 
and that's a description of Israel. As we saw in Second Timothy chapter three verse eight, Israel is recalled reprobate concerning the faith. In Titus chapter one verse sixteen, Israel referred to against and unto every good work, reprobate unto every good work, Israel. Who would not respond to God? And here they're called reprobate unto every good work. Israel's state of mind is exhibited in a persistent, defiant attitude toward the word and toward their prophets. And it's constantly demonstrated by a lack of remorse toward their personal sin. And we know that they possessed over the years, although God sent prophets to warn them, to teach them, to guide them, yet as time went on, their heart became hardened and more hardened and more hardened toward God. Psalm 81 verse 12 testifies, so I gave them up to their own heart's lust. And that's probably a description of what we find in 70 AD as I shared that with you. In spite of every opportunity for the prophets to bring revival to Israel, instead of all the people that the Lord sent to to arouse them, we find that Israel turned a jaundiced eye to God's mercy and providence. So, finally then, God gave them over to their sin and to their destruction And then we find that as God gave them over to this, of course we know what took place. But then we find as we go to the New Testament, what do we discover? In Acts chapter 13, verse 46, when they had all this trouble with Israel and with the Jew, things begin to change. And we discover recorded to us in in, 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 um, the book of Acts 13, 46, what does Paul say? Lo, I go to the Gentiles, because Israel would not receive the word. And they had, as I mentioned, all the prophets. They had every opportunity. No, no, no. So then the Lord leads the Apostle Paul, for him now to go to the Gentile nations. And therefore God casted his electing love upon the Gentiles, which we know, we could use another word, the church, Although we know technically the definition of the church, the ecclesia, is what? The ecclesia means the called out assembly comprised of Jews and Gentiles. But it has mostly been Gentiles over the years. Let's make an application here at this point. As we think about the Jews, as we think about that struggle between God and the Jews and the gospel now going to start to go over to the the Gentiles, a verse comes to my mind that I'd like to share with you that we can make personal application. And see, here's the danger that we do. We talk about the Jews and we talk about sinners and all that, but many times it becomes a historic lesson, like you're sitting in a history class and I'm the history teacher telling you what happened. But really, there's to be personal application to the doctrines of the Bible. We want to, we want to apply these things to our life. And so if on Sunday we come here, we have a nice service, and, you know, a certain nice, nice, nice sermon, Pastor, really appreciated that. And, I, and you're walking out the door. But there's no application to your life personally. Somewhere we missed the boat. And so, you know, I always want to stress that, that there's always a need for a personal application to God's word. And here's a verse that comes to my mind I want to interject. Of all the scriptures, of all the verses in the Bible, what did I say? Of all the verses that are in the Bible... I've picked out Proverbs 4.23. I don't know if we touched this in Sunday school, although we did talk about it. Proverbs. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Boy, think about that. That's a ringing thought. And that word keep means to guard. Guard your heart. Now, what's the heart? The heart is the center of your emotions and will and intellect. It's the real you. And it's to be guarded. Guard your heart and how to do it with all diligence. Because, you know, the world wants to get into your heart. The world wants to change your heart. The world wants to make you worldly like it. And it mocks your faith. 
and it mocks the church. You don't want worldly things in your life, and yet, therefore, Scripture tells us, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So this is a statement about the human heart, and it needs to be guarded. What's to, what is to be guarded against? Here's some things to guard your heart against. Various addictions. You know, our, our heart is subject to various kinds of addictions. You need to guard yourself against this. It's easily influenced. Your heart. Again, your thought, your life, your emotions, your feelings. You, you are subject to words which will express and can easily, you are easily influenced. That's why you look at a television commercial. And you know they spend thousands of dollars on these commercials. Why? Because they know you and me, we are easily influenced. And if you can use the right word and have the right picture and so forth, you'll go buy the product. You know, you know how all that's been studied. But we are, in fact, easily influenced creatures. We are quickly deceived, especially when it comes to the faith. And you know, that's why you have so many religions. You have so many different cults out there, and, and all of them have people in it. Because they're easily, easily deceived. And then our heart is subject to hardening. A hardened heart. Hebrews 3.13, the warning is, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So before we go on, I want you to make a personal application about your heart. So be thinking about you right now. Of course, we always talk, we're thinking about the other person. That's good. But there's also a time when you need to think about you. Assess yourself. Assess the condition of your heart today. Six areas I want to look at this. Number one, relationships. Analyze your heart in terms of your personal relationships. Your relationship here in church. Your relationships uh, within your neighborhood. Your relationships from your rel- of your re- relatives. How do you relate to people? Do you get along with them? Get, and now are you also an ambassador? Is it your goal and plan to be a good ambassador for the Lord Jesus to all these people with whom you relate? So assess your heart. Where are you in that assessment? How would you grade yourself? A, B, C, E? I don't know. Now let's move on. The second, the second area of assessment. We have the triplets. The world, the flesh, and the devil. These are things each of us have to deal with. What is your relationship like with the world? Are we easily influenced and we're sucked into the ways of the world? Because you know, many, to me, the world many times seems so pleasurable, quite honestly. And I got to hold myself back or look away or do something because the world's like this. What is your relationship like with, your, with the flesh? And you know in scripture the word flesh is the word sarks. And it means the unsaved part of you. For example, you know, my hand's not going to go to heaven. You know, my, my soul, my spirit would go to heaven. But the rest of me doesn't. And that's what's referred to as the flesh. And it's an enemy to God. And what is your relationship like with the devil? What are you talking about? The, what? Are you influenced? Are you easily influenced by the demonic world? And by the devil himself? Well, you know, you know Christ is your savior. You're a soul winner. You're winning out for Christ. You turn your life over to the Lord Jesus. You know you're going to get resistance from those three, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So how do you relate to these? Are you victorious over them? Are you able to say, Satan, get behind me and go on with your life? So again, I'm asking for you to make a self-assessment. What is your, and, and this would be number three, what is your relationship like with the world? Because we just talked about that in terms of the devil. So, we'll, or, no, excuse me. What is your relationship like with the Word, the Word of God? Do you have daily devotions? Are you memorizing Scripture? So you can memorize Scripture. You say no, you can't. You can. You can. What did I? What did I? Did I do this earlier today? I guess. But you know, I started doing this. I got into you know memorizing. Not just individual verses, like I'm sure we all have, uh, we all have John 3.16 memorized, I'm sure, right? God so loved the world, gave his only begotten son. Now, whosoever believes in him 
should not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe you have uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 memorized, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works. And that's good. We should be, I'm sure you're all doing this. But what would be a real blessing to you? I would suggest, just try it, memorize a large set, memorize a chapter of the Bible. Get an interesting chapter and memorize it. And I'll never forget when, when I went to a... Um, it was a seminar I went to, a, a Bill Gothard seminar. Anybody familiar with, with Bill Gothard? You ever hear of Bill Gothard as a teacher? I guess this, this is going way back. I'm showing my age here. So he had seminars all over America. And he would challenge, you know, it was good sound teaching. And he would challenge you, memorize large portions of the Word of God. And of course, what's everybody sitting? Oh, I can't do that. I can hardly memorize a Bible verse. And... Um, but you know, I went home, I thought about that, and that really makes good sense. So I would say this, can I, can I do, just to, n- not trying to show off, but just showing you can do it, because if I can do this, anybody here can do it. So if you take like James chapter 1, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting my brother, count of all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the trial of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work in you that may, may be perfect and entire one in nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives to all men liberally and braideth not, it shall be given him. But only let him ask of faith and nothing wavering. For he that wavers like the wave of the sea, driven with him and tossed. That took a long time to get that down. But, and here's the point I'm trying to tell you. If I can do that, every one of you can do that. If we all took an IQ test here, I know I'd be at the bottom. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. But if even with my low IQ, I can still do this, you can do it. And I would just like to encourage you to do that. Take, take a chapter, an interesting chapter for you, and, and start to put it, bring it to memory. And that will serve you over the years. If you can go on and on God's word, it's, it's a wonderful blessing to you. So I want to talk to you about that with God's word. Okay, and now here, number five, I want to talk to you about um, your relationship with your husband or your wife. What about this? How are we, how are we relating gentlemen, husbands here out how are you relating to your wife? Scripture tells us to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, the only way we're going to be able to do that is be filled by the Holy Spirit, have the Spirit of God move. And we are to love the wife as Christ loved the church. And, and that's your call, gentlemen. You've got to do this. And you've got to work. We have to work at it because probably I'm the only guy here who has a perfect wife, so that's not hard to do. But probably the other guys, you don't have a perfect wife, so you have to really work on it. Just kidding, of course. But um, what? If, and and let's, let's do it the other way around. Husbands or wives love your husbands. And um, is that taken? In other words, are the are our couples here growing in love together? Still, and now we're older, but you know what? You still grow in love. You still get to know each other better and better until the day you die. If you have a proper, if you have a proper marriage relationship, you're continuing to get to know one another. And so I'm just challenging. Is that, is that what's going on? And I know usually if I, when I'm doing marriage counseling and a couple comes in, normally, not every time there are exceptions, but normally, I hold the, personally, I hold the husband accountable. Get your family together. Make the thing ha- work. Do whatever you got to do to make it work. Because with the power of God, you can do this. Or, now here's the threat. You can either do this or settle to coexist. I've seen a lot of that going on. You know, you just, you, well, you know, the, the magic's going out of our relationship. You know, we just, you know, we just coexist and tolerate each other. Boy, don't let that happen. Because it will happen. Your nature's like that. My nature's like that. You have to guard against this. But that'll help you if you go to the Lord about this and vitalize revitalize your relationship one with another. And then the last thing I want to talk about here to assess your heart is prayer. What is your prayer life like? And only you know that, but do you spend significant amount of time in prayer? I know this. If I go by, if I uh, get to the bedside, you know, pray before you go to bed. I've done that many a time. But you know what I find? I fall asleep a lot of the time, or at least groggy. So what I do, what's helped me, I just I, walk, I go outside and walk. <clears throat> I'll go out and walk. You know, if, if it's winter, you know, bundle up and go out for a good long walk. Or summer, I've got a t-shirt and shorts or something. But I'm walking along train. Now I know. I think I, I know. It's, there's something happening in our neighborhood though, because when I usually take the same route, it's maybe about a mile and a half 
circle. I'm suspecting my neighbors, when I come walking down the street, there's that guy. He's crazy. Look at him. He's talking to himself. You know, because you know, I'm praying and sometimes my lips move and that kind of thing. But, but it also, it's opened the door to share Christ with some of those people. Come out and I'll talk with them and uh, share Christ along with them. But I'm asking you, though, what is, I want you to give self-assessment to your life in those three areas. Assess it. And if you come up with a good grade, praise God. He's working in your life. The Spirit of God's in your life. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and do it great. Praise God. Do it. But if not, this may be a matter of something to pray about. Bring these before the Lord. So we're trying to analyze your heart, my heart. Taking this now back to Israel's situation. Why is Israel's rebellion featured in the Bible? We see so many statements about Israel rebelling against God. Now, why is that? The New Testament tells us. It tells us why it's there. And you'll find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 1 says, And these things were written for our admonition. In the context, it's about Israel and their rebellion. And why is it written in God's word? For us, the New Testament, for our admonition. So we can understand what Israel did, what they did wrong, and learn from it. We can understand some of the things they did right and learn from it. But that's why it's there. This Old Testament is here to bless the New Testament, to bless the New Testament church. See, Israel's specific problem, one of their major issues, they meddled with the word. Instead of receiving the word, honoring it, preaching it, and living it, they tried to change it. As a matter of fact, I have one verse here. And and we talked about this verse last time I was here. If you can remember this, you're good. But remember we talked, last time I was here, we talked about Romans 1.23. And look at that language there. Israel changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like unto corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. They took God's word and began to change it. And that way they can make their own little religion according to what they want. But can you imagine this? And that word changed, by the way, in that text, verse 23, comes from the word alasso. They alassoed the word. But when we look at the meaning of it, it means that they changed or exchanged or transformed. Israel transformed the word to make it pleasing to mankind. Well, let's move on here so we can get, get this verse finished up here before we... Before everybody gets hungry or hears your stomach growl or goes to sleep, I'm going to move, move forward here. The rest of the text goes on to say, God, get, and this is scary though, so let's not take it too late. God gave them up to uncleanness. So God will do this. Well, he'll beg people to come. He'll send his prophets, send his, his, his uh, apostles. But there will come a time when he will give up. If there's no response, and you think, and if you're looking at this in the history of Israel, you have hundreds of years of rebellion and rejection. If you're looking at this in terms of the pagan, the Gentile, well, from the beginning of the world, they rejected the Lord Jesus. And he gave them up to uncleanness. And that word uncleanness, akatharsia, coming from your Greek word akatharsia, meaning to be impure to be physically or morally unclean or impure when God gives them up to uncleanness. When I see that word uncleanness, let me just share something that I think you'll find it interesting. This takes me back when I was in third grade. So you're going way back. And you know what? Third grade, I can remember it. It seems just like that, you know? I'm in third grade. It's ra- I'm getting up to go to school, and it's pouring down rain. My father drove us to school. And, you know, I had to wear, my parents bought me this yellow rain, rain coat and a yellow rain hat. And I had to wear this. And it was so embarrassing to wear this thing. You had to, you know, jumped out of the car and ran into school with all this paraphernalia on. And of course, as soon as they drove away, I took it off and did something with it. But as soon as we got into school... The rain stopped. I mean, like, suddenly. It was, it was a hard shower, and it just stopped, and the sun came out. 
And it's one of those situations where I'm sure you've seen like trees after it rained, the water's dripping off of it, and yet the sun is out and it's a beautiful day. It's one of those kind of days. And so, um, so, you know, I'm in the school and there's all that rain going on. But we came to, uh, it came, became re recess time around 10 o'clock. Now the rain had stopped for about an hour or so. So we're going to go outside and play, okay? And I happened to, uh, at, at this school in my room, I kept a baseball and a football. So in case I want to play, I have it. So I get the football. I said, come on, guys, we're going to go out to play. Yeah, but it's right, well, we can play out there. So, so we, we go out in the playground. And all we had, like, was a baseball field. Of course, you know, the, the infield is like grass, but where the runners run, it's dirt. Well, this day, that was mud. I mean, it was like thick mud because of that hard rain. Hey, guys, let's play football. Come on, play right here. Yeah, but it's muddy. Well, it's okay. We can play in the mud. So we, we played in the mud. And it, it, I must tell you, I still remember it. It was fun. And, and you run the ball and you get tackled and you slide in the mud. <laughs> to a third grader, it was a lot of fun. And we're all having a good time until the bell rang to go in. Now we know, oh, well, and then we looked at each other. Oh, man, we're in a mess. So we try to splash off, take all the stuff off, and, and, and go, in, go, go into the classroom. But the problem is, as you're walking down the hallway, trying to be, you know, mud's dropping on the hallway, and, and the janitor's over there looking at us in, in anger because he just cleaned the hallway, and now we're trooping in all this dirt and mud and all this. So um, we walk into the classroom, and I, I knew I was muddy, but I tried to, do, to sit down and not have a problem. And the teacher says, Donnie Britton? Huh? Get out. Huh? Get out of here. Bobby Smith? Get out. Jimmy Jones? Because we're all full of mud and making a mess out of everything. Why am I telling you that story? To illustrate this, to illustrate what sin is, because the Word of God says, look at this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, which is what I was just sharing about. I was unclean in the mud. But God didn't call us to be uncleanness. Look at that mud as sin. I'm covered with sin. I mean, spiritually, that's what we are, as, we're covered with, as I was covered with mud. But you know, isn't that what we are in sin? Covered in sin? The unbeliever is covered in this sin. Now we know through the work of Christ on the cross, he cleanses us of all that. But could you imagine standing before the... Can you imagine in that illustration standing before the principal... And you say, well, I, I didn't mean it. I did my best. And you're all full of mud. That's not going to work. Can you imagine standing before God and all your sin? Well, I did my best. I didn't mean to be a problem. It's not going to work out. That's why men have to come and flee unto the Lord Jesus Christ, that they may be delivered. In our text here, what is the source of the uncleanness? Answer, through the lust of their own hearts. Right? Examine that text. Right? The source, through the lust of their own hearts. That word lust, epithumus, epithumius, means a strong desire and passion. Question, what is the origin of the lost, lust? Answer, the origin of the lust is the heart, the cardia, the human heart. And what is the heart, as I had mentioned? It is the very center of our emotions, our will, and our intellect. The specific charge in this text against Israel you see in our, in our text that we're analyzing, they to, dis, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. You see, this thing of lust, it is in the human heart. You don't have to teach someone to lust. It's there. It's part of what the human heart is all about. And that will lead to, if that lust is allowed to express itself, it leads to dishonor. Abazelatheia. It means to, to, uh, to devalue, to shame, and to shamefully treat. Question, what is being dishonored according to our text? Answer, their own bodies between themselves. Question, what does that mean? Among other things, this is making a reference to homosexuality. And you know, in numerous places, the Word of God speaks about homosexuality. And you see God's opinion of homosexuality, especially in Genesis chapter 19, verses 24 and 25. Now, we all know about Sodom and Gomorrah. Where are Sodom and Gomorrah, to your history buffs, where is Sodom and Gomorrah today? It's at the bottom of the Dead Sea. 
as an expression of God's view of homosexuality. Now remember, you as a Christian have to remember something. You have to remember that you are the light of the world. We are called to love the homosexual. However, we are also called to rebuke the sin of homosexuality. Can you make that difference? You love the homosexual, but you rebuke the sin. You, re- you reject the sin. And to make that fine difference is not an easy thing to do. But we must learn to, to the homosexual that we may you, may, you may not even know of any, or you may, you don't know it. We don't know. But, but in other words, give forth the love of the Lord. We know this. Now we're seeing this in the news today more than ever before. This sin in fact, just yeah, again, this weekend, we've seen a lot of this almost every day. And, 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 and then you have this new group, the trans people. Now, can you imagine this? Changing a person, a, a, a child. I want to become a girl. And, and the parents will allow this to occur. I mean, we can do that now through science and medicine. Or the girl wants to be a boy. And so they get these, and, and now, but really what you have is some freak of nature once that's done. And this is becoming more and more popular in America. It's just, it's astounding. You never think something like this would occur? Well, it has. Now, you couple that taking place in our culture, and then you put, now I'm going to speak something here in my own mind. This is Don Britton. It's not this church. It's not the denomination. But I'm here to give you my feelings and my thoughts, so I'm doing that. But you know what? This kind of craziness is somewhat encouraged by our president. And you can see where the country's going if a president of the United States is, in, is somewhat in favor, in favor of craziness like this. What's going to happen? What's gonna, you, you do know America's going down. You realize that? I mean, I can see this now. I'm older. And I'm an old guy now, supposedly. I guess I am. I'm, how old am I? I'm, you know, I forget. I'm uh, said. 78, and I can look back over all these years, and I can see America's going down, and it's in serious trouble. Now, you hear people say that over the years, you've always heard that, but, and I always, yeah, yeah, right, but you know, I'm really at that point where I think we are there. We are in really a desperate situation, and the hour is very late. What does that mean for us? Preach the word. Live the word and preach the word and get the word out. Because here's what, look at the recent thing. I'll close shortly. I'm getting long-winded here. And I can obviously remember sitting where you sat and I'm listening to the preacher and he's going on and on and on. And I'm trying, oh, come on, Sky, please end, please, Lord. So I'm going to end soon. But I'm on a little roll and I want to get this thing. I think I have something to tell you here. Just think recently of what's happened to the great United States of America. Think of the Afghanistan fiasco. This is, what, what we're observing here is lunacy. Billions, not millions, billions of dollars of weaponry left in Afghanistan for the enemy, and now they have it. And you know there are probably little kids or maybe teenagers now in, in our country, they're going to be killed by those weapons in the future. Could you imagine a policy where you just walk away and leave all your technical Powerful weapons. <clears throat> to me, that is the language of treason. If you're going to leave that there, you're treason to your people. But let me just go on. I'm going to close quickly. Think of the, the crazy immigrant situation. Could you imagine, ever imagine that our leaders, or I guess the White House, keep the, keep, keep the doors open, let them just rush on in here. No registry, nothing. We have no idea who they are. Many of them hate America. Now, probably in that group, there's probably some sincere, grateful people. But you know, there's a lot of them that would love America to sink all the more. How could we be so blind as to say, okay, come on in, hey, what's going on? By the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. You know what, you see? So, you know what I think? I'm not going to tell, never mind. That, that wouldn't be appropriate at this time. 
Let me just go on so I can close. But I'm just saying, you know, we are in a serious situation. America's in a serious situation. I would not be surprised if a few years from now we would not be able to meet like this. If those that are coming across our land have their way, and it seems like we've got no one, our, our elected representatives are just standing there watching, oh, okay, they're supposed to do something, they don't. Of course, many of them want that. But the ones that don't aren't saying much either. Our big cities, they're not safe. I'm supposed to go into, my daughter made a, 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 an appointment for me for a doctor in Philadelphia. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go. I think that's not until I think August. I don't, I don't think I'm going to go into the city. It's a scary place right now. I never used to be that way, you know, going to Philly and do this and do that. But I'm t- I tell you, our culture is disintegrating. So what I, I'm going to leave you with something positive here. So I'm looking here. If I were to search, I'm going, I'm going to irritate my wife when I say this, but I think it should be said. I already said it once, but if I were to search through the 1,189 chapters in the Bible, if I'm to look through the 31,108 verses in the Bible, or if I'm to examine the, well, I'll just stop with that text there. But if, in other words, if I'm looking through the Bible, and I want to close with a verse, having understood all these things we've talked about, and yet a verse of encouragement. You know, if you look, you'll find it. And the verse I'm going to share with you, there's numerous, but this is what came to me as I'm putting this together a while back. We all know Second Chronicles 7.14, right? right? If my people were to call by my name, will humble themselves uh, and seek my face, that will hear from heaven, and I'm, I'm making paraphrase here, I'll hear from heaven and hear from heaven and heal their land. But you know that verse is aimed to the believers. It's not blamed to the politician, not blamed to the general citizenry. It's to the believers. If my people which are called by my name, that's you and me. And what are we to do? Humble ourselves and come before the Lord. Seek his face. Then we'll hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. But you, again, what is that? That's the church. That's you. That's me. And that's the Christian churches who are true sound churches. Now, you have a lot of churches that are social clubs and other things, but to, for the true sound church. I personally, is my opinion, that, that the destiny of America is in the hands of the church. If we cry out to God and pray and live godly lives and be bold in our witness and do the work of discipleship and do the work we're supposed to do, maybe God in his mercy may rescue America. But if we just sit around, now it's easy to do, and, and Christians do this too, we just complain, hey, boy, this is bad, yeah, this is really bad, yeah, I know, yeah. What is it? Yeah, yeah, what good's that? You've got to rise up and then do something. And to me, you know, well, prayer, you know, prayer and get God's word out. And I'm looking here, by the way, a great church right here. You know, we love to come to this church. I, I say this every time, but it's true. I can't help but to say it. We, we enjoy coming here. And you know, it's a long ride, but yet, you know, it's not long. It's actually enjoyable because we know we're going to be with our friends here. And I know you love the Lord and you're, you always treat us so nicely and all. And it's just fun to be here. But you know what? In this area, this is where God has planted you. Get the word of God out. Live it, pray it, share it one with another. Because we, we see here the word of Scripture. Going back to our verse, therefore God gave them up to uncleanness. And you don't want that to be a testimony of the great United States of America. But I'll tell you, if we do not repent, if we continue on in our sin and with this craziness that's going on now and that just continues on to multiply, you're tempting, we're tempting God to uh, do to us what he's done to other nations, what's happened to other nations. And what stands in the way is the Christian, I believe. It stands in the way is the Christian, the word of God. And what are we to do? I just happened to come across this verse the other day. I thought I'm going to throw this in here. Luke, maybe someone has this memorized, Luke 14, 23. And that's the part where our Lord says, compel them to come in that my house may be full. That's your job and that's my job. Get out there and get these people and bring them in. Evangelize them, disciple them for the glory of God. I'll finish with two, uh, two encouraging verses 
We find here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled to the yoke of bondage. Stand fast, right? Stand fast. You know, when I think of that, stand fast, I think of, you know, you, those of you who watch sports and watch a linebacker, you know what a linebacker is supposed to do? That's the guy's behind the line, and his job is to get there and have in a position so that if somebody, if a 250-pound tackle runs to him, he's got to like, learn how to hit him and, and keep your ground, not get... <laughs> but you know, but what, that's what stand fast means. Stand fast, hold your ground. And that's what we're to be as Christians. Hold our ground here in the community. Hold it and be aggressive and spread the word of God. Stand fast, therefore, and literally Christ has made you free. And then I finish with 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Be steadfast, unmovable. Isn't that beautiful too? Steadfast, unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, you can go out today and work and work and it's in vain. I've worked on a car many times. I don't know the first thing about a car mechanic. I can drive it and that's about it. But I've tried, oh, I'm going to learn how to do this and it's a mess and the car breaks down. (laughs) I'm covered with oil. Nothing got fixed. You know, I can't do that stuff. But you know what? But the Lord gets the work done. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty of Christ has made you free. And so that's what we want to do. Be, be steadfast, unmo- steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? I said amen? Uh, much better. Let's close in a prayer. Our Father and our God, we want to say thank you for this church, Lord. We want to say thank you that the spirit that you have in this church, this is a unique place for us. And we ask for your blessing on it, that it will, will, will spread, that it will grow and multiply. First of all, that the love of the Lord Jesus among the congregation will spread and multiply. That the word of God will spread and multiply. So that as a result of this ministry, many people will come unto the Lord Jesus Christ, be born again, have a home in heaven. So we pray for the leaders here, pray for the congregation here. We call down your blessing on it. And thank you for letting us be here this day. And now I pray that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, be with each and every one of you today and forevermore. Amen.